Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and I'm here with the very inquisitive Dr. Jan Hill. And you are inquisitive, aren't you? And today we invite you to consider the process of aging with us. Uh, how are you doing? I'm great, Gord. How are yeah. you? How's your week going? Uh, busy, but good. How about you? We need to talk to you about your busyness. I know. I know. I know. We're you quite need balanced. a therapist. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, last week we spoke with uh, David Bryan. Uh, he was the author of the book, Seven Principles of the Affluent Soul. And we considered a, a different interpretation of the word affluence rather than it just being about money uh, and how it can be applied to remedy the loss uh, and confusion that so many of us feel in our daily life. Uh, David introduced us to many ways that we can enhance our daily life through bringing our soul back into our very daily existence. And uh, that was a pretty cool Pretty cool interview, actually. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to him. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty amazing. One of the things I loved was how, uh, for people who might not be soulfully inquisitive, uh, then they can take this materialistic framework, like, and then just apply it to the spiritual world, and boom, voila, it good totally understanding. Works. It yeah, totally it goes works. back and forth uh, yeah. perfectly. Um, so today we're going to be uh, talking about Another aspect of daily living that uh, every last one of us is going to be subject to, uh, whether we like it or not, you know, it's uh, that whole thing of aging. Um, I think that uh, we have definitely gotten into a really, uh, I think, a negative space for a lot of people. I think it's very negative and in terms of the anti-aging everything. Yeah, well, we have a youth-oriented culture. Oh, that's an understatement. Unfortunately, I'm youth, you know, so uh, <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> so, you know, aging, uh, yes, we're all going to do it, some a little faster than others. Um, aging, uh, we, think, uh, we think we know what precisely it is because we all do it, but sociologists and psychologists think of it a bit differently than who we usually think of it or think of how it is. Uh, the, uh, there's three ways that we can look at it, popular, social, and scientific. So what about uh, scientific? I know. Crazy, eh? I know. I, I know. know. We're not going to talk a lot about the scientific perspective. But no, good. Yeah, good. just a little bit. Because yeah. that'll really bore people. The popular perception of aging is mostly determined by how you and I experience it ourselves. So how we observe others doing it uh, also plays into that. It's a very personal thing. It's mostly defined by our body. Oh, do my knees hurt? Um, trying to get out of bed. Uh, because they're worn down, and that's what we call aging. Uh, the social is that there's also the, that just that experience of aging is mostly defined by how we experience uh, aging within our society and how society thinks of aging, even if it is youth oriented. And then, of course, there's the science. What do you, what do you, you want to, you said there's a little portion on the science. Let's talk about the science. Okay, let's talk about the science. Okay. So, um, so, you know, it's interesting, right? Because I think what we think about the scientific perspective is that it fits in because like, we're so scientifically or, uh, oriented in our culture that it fits in with actually our individual kind of perspective of it. So we think 
that we're getting old because our knees hurt. And we say, well, our knees hurt because we're getting old. So it's this, you know, tautological a roundabout kind of way of seeing things. But basically, there's kind of two views from the world of science. And the first view is that aging is actually a normal process. It's um, programmed into our DNA. So it's unavoidable. And the length of our life is actually genetically determined. And uh, variation, of course, can occur. For example, good health can help us uh, maximize and poor health can minimize our genetic our genetically determined lifespan. But for the most part, we're dying from the moment we're born. Well, that's really reassuring. Yeah, I know. Now, you know what? When when everyone else was in line having their DNA reprogrammed, I didn't go in that line. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we're so programmed I, to die. I was never programmed to die. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the second theory you might like a little better then is that uh, aging is a result of damage to our cells. So the the telomeres in the of our DNA shortens. So you can think of our DNA strands as having their like little shoelaces that are wrapped around the end of the, of the, of the DNA. Yep. And it keeps it from unraveling, right? The DNA, it keeps the DNA intact. And every time that you, your, your cells reproduce themselves, the telomeres, which are these little shoelace kind of things, shorten. So uh, there's a correlation between short telomeres and the effects of aging. So basically without your telomeres, uh, shortening, you could stay young forever is the is the idea. Now, this sounds like there's going to be an opening pretty soon somewhere in the area of plastic surgery. Come in and have your telomeres lengthened. Exactly, right? <laughs> yes, for Don't sure. Don't you think, I mean, there's got to be an opening One cell somewhere. at a time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would have to do something like, something really amazing to be able to do that. I know. That's why I'm making fun of it, because oh, we know that that's not going to happen. Well, you know, if you go to the anti-aging shows, not that I've ever been there, but uh, you can <laughs> come home with bags and bags of products that claim that they actually do. Um, and I don't know anything about this, so maybe they do, but they, they stop your telling. Or maybe they shortening. don't. But there is correlation between life expectancy in families and the length of a telomere. So if you have, like, if your genetic predisposition is to have longer telomeres, then chances are you're going to live longer. Your family. You know what? I totally accept that. I, yeah. It's, it's the, the idea of going back in there and somehow or other lengthening them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of a skeptic in the world of, of the new and wonderful anti-aging products. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? We have all these anti-aging products largely because we think that aging is a bad thing. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it, has, it has become, I think, that it, what's a natural human process has become a pathology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, our process of, of aging, of, of going through all of the, the various stages of our life, which I think we're going to talk about, actually. We are going to talk um, about You know, to turn that into a pathology that says, well, when this happens and you reach this age, then the following is going to happen, mm-hmm. that it's an automatic assumption that if you're, you know, you have, you know, stiff muscles or whatever getting up in the morning that, you know, it's because you're you're not you're not aging or you are aging and you're you're not doing enough uh, uh, workouts or whatever. Uh, when in fact it could be something much more serious that we're just writing it off onto, uh, um, you know, just being older. Yeah, for sure, right? It could actually be something wrong with your knees that has nothing to do with aging. And people talk about this all the time, right? When they go in to see the doctor or they go in for their to their healthcare professional. Um, and they say, well, you know, this hurts or that hurts, and they um, they they don't really look into it as thoroughly as perhaps they should, or they could, because they just assume it's an effect of aging. 
Well, exactly, exactly. And I, I think that, you know, just sort of consistently buying into that, you know, I mean, people have knees replaced uh, if they were, you know, major runners, for instance, it might be their hip, it might be, you know, their, their spines compressed or whatever. And that's not part of aging. It's part of the fact that it's been really damaged by uh, by running, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of a couple of friends in particular who have had pretty major surgeries, not because they're old at all, but because of the damage that's been done by the compression on the spine and the compression on the knees mm-hmm. of daily running of like 70 to 100 miles a week. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> a lot of running. That's an awful lot of running. It starts at 5 a.m. Uh, however, now they're they're really suffering because of mm-hmm. that. So does it have anything to do with aging? I don't think so. No, no, but you know what is interesting, I think, is that we attribute, like we think of time as linear. So you start as a baby, you, and we'll talk about this when we talk about lifespan, but it's we start at particular stages and we work our way through and then boom, that's the end of your life, right? So it's like this linear progression. And this is something that is, um, this is a very key sort of characteristic of Western cultures and a key characteristic of sort of modern cultures, right? So cultures over the last 400 years that came through the enlightenment and stuff, right? So there's right. this idea of the of the cause and effect. If you do this when you're young, this shows up when you're old kind of thing or when you're older, right, that right. kind of thing. And what I'm interested in is cultures like uh, many indigenous cultures that have uh, circular, like time is a cycle, right? Right, right? So it's so the things that happen to you as you age are not perceived as being negative, right? It's not like you want to have this snapshot of who you are and you want to stay in this uh, uh, perpetual state of youth or adulthood. You want to go through these cycles of life because each one contributes something to the community. Well, I think the fact that uh, we view it as being so linear actually makes it really difficult for us to even imagine sort of what that begins to look like. You you and I were talking once uh, uh, with a class about ageism and, you know, lots of isms that we can talk about and lots of isms we can actually outright change, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, from sexism to racism to anything. We, we can get our hand, handle on it. We can change it. We can change the way we view it. But ageism is very, very difficult. And it was very difficult because of its linear nature. Mm-hmm. And you continued on to say to the class about why it was so hard. Like our inability to be able to to see what a 70-year-old might be looking like or a 60-year-old and put ourselves into that position. Right. I think I have a vague recollection of that, but I think, if I remember correctly… It was very profound. You well, should remember it. Okay. Maybe I should have written it down. But, <laughs> but it seems to me as I'm hearing you speak, it's that because, you know, in any moment, we are as old as we will ever be. Right? In this moment, I'm as old as I am right now, which is as old as I am ever been. And now, oops, now I'm older, and now I'm older, and now I'm older. So in every given moment... Oh my God, it's showing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there goes my memory. No, in any given moment, then, we are, we sort of see ourselves as being at the apex of, of our development, right? So it's hard to imagine in many ways that somebody else who uh, is older than us, who's been through that phase, actually has been through that phase, had those similar experiences, had those learnings, and then moved past it onto something else. That's right. And can turn around and offer some knowledge, right? But it's interesting, too, because as adults, we raise our children, and we have no questions about how, you know, well, we clearly, we are a better judge of what's okay for our kids than our kids are. Right, right, right. right. But, I mean, I think what you're saying also really feeds into, you know, with it being this youth-oriented society, 
as to the loss of all of this knowledge. Yeah. You know, uh, mm. just the, the loss of having the elders in our society. Uh, uh, people, people don't turn to older people. All right. I don't even like to use that, but those with experience, those that have been through the cycle previously, whatever, for advice or for you know input or whatever, is let's get rid of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to get rid of the old guy upstairs in uh, uh, you know inventory or whatever, and bring in someone new. Yeah, make you know? make room for the new people. And make room for the room people. Yeah. 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 The problem with that though is making room for the new people is that we're putting a lot of people out there and saying. You're no longer relevant to us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they are more than relevant. They're, they're, uh, you know, there are certain societies of which the elders are highly respected, and they're very, very old societies uh, that are in existence still. Um, unfortunately, our new world is is uh, uh, forgetting a, a lot of really important things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is the importance of that knowledge that we've gained over many, many, many years. I think that has a lot to do with to how you view what your view of what it is or where it is we go after we leave our bodies, after we die, right? Because if there's a spirit world, then, uh, and the elders return to the spirit world, um, then who's already in the spirit world? It's the children. And in indigenous cultures, many times children were the teachers for the elders because the children had just come from the spirit world. So they were the ones who would remind the elders what it's like, you know, to get ready to go back. Right, right, how to get ready right, to go back. Right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole thing of aging really changed a lot a few hundred years ago. Uh, even even just like a hundred years ago, I guess, or a little more than that. Uh, when we started thinking life in terms of stages, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, and I was just going to say is if we think about the kind of the three models, the three perspectives we have, all of this stuff is really connected to the to the popular view of aging. Like we haven't actually said anything that doesn't reflect the popular view of aging when we think about how time is linear and we come to the planet and we're, you know, we get bigger and brighter and whatever, whatever, and we kind of, you know, we hit the apex of being this most efficient adult and then we, you know, slowly collapse down and uh, eventually, hopefully, die in our sleep. So, I would say that that's our popular view of <laughs> I'm aging. I'm never going right? to sleep again. Yeah, and and what's really cool is is that is actually a new story of aging. This right. popular perspective is a new story. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And it's a you know it's sort of an interesting perspective. Yeah. Uh, but it's so you know in many ways I just see it as so devaluing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the people. You know, who I hung out with, not, I didn't hang out with, I visited, were these old people. You know, when I was young, I used to have a paper route. That was my very first job. And I was like 9, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be out there delivering the newspapers. Then it would be like, other customers started to phone. You know, where's Gord? Mm-hmm. Gord hasn't delivered the paper. And I would be helping some little old lady or I'd be listening to her tell her story. And I was fascinated. I was fascinated by elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, my grandmother was absolutely instrumental in my having the career that I have today. Wow. You know, uh, so elders have really played a really huge role for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, rather than becoming a senior citizen, I'm hoping that I get to become an elder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a choice that we all make, whether well, we, we buy into that or not. Exactly. But here's the cool thing about elders. Elders are chosen. You don't choose to become an elder. People choose you. Well... Okay, everybody, I, you. I, I want you to vote for me. Uh, I choose you. You choose me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just, as, as I said, for some reason, I was so fascinated. 
and maybe I was the, you know, you spoke about an indigenous culture that, that I was the young child that was teaching them again what they were returning to, mm. you know, mm. uh, having been not on the planet very long. And some of these people were way into their, into their 70s at least. They were old. Mm-hmm. For a nine-year-old, yeah. you know, I'm like seventy. Are you kidding? They're still children. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Remember when twenty was old? Okay. You're like, oh my, oh my god. god. Yeah. When I'm I mean, twenty, just, I'm going to be ancient. It's so relative. I can remember my grandmother going into a nursing home at the very end, and and she was eighty-nine, and she would say, "Well, you know, the old lady across the hall there." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She referred to everybody else as the old ladies yeah. and the old men, and I just thought that was very, you know, funny. I mean, it's it really is so incredibly subjective. But at the same time, that subjectiveness is what we buy, you know, we're buying into, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's defining us. I mean, if we buy into it at a mental level, then somehow or other, we're going to manifest that. Mm-hmm. For sure, right? You know? I mean, that's what Pauline was teaching us, uh, was, you know, the, the whole thing about how we manifest, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's one of them that I don't want to do that. So we're, we need to change that. We're never as old as others think we are. I know, I know. Right. Well, uh, everyone thinks I'm just immature, so. Uh, uh, And on that note, uh, we're going to break here for a a message. We'll be uh, coming right back after a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm Gordon Dell, and this is uh, Jan Hill, and you are listening to Things Worth Considering. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories, it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. 
Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. This is Gord Riddell and Jan Hill, and you are listening to Things Worth Considering on Radio America, Voice America uh, Talk Radio. Uh, so, uh, Jan, you were saying about um, the, the whole thing of leading into adolescence. That's an interesting development that's going on there. Yeah, so here's the cool thing, right, is that um, this this idea that we have about what aging is, this popular perspective, is actually, uh, it emerged in the early 1900s. And so this idea that we have, we're babies first and like infants, all the stuff that Piaget talks about too, yeah. right, Piaget. Uh, built on on some of these uh, burgeoning ideas in the early 1900s. So this idea that we're babies first, and then you know toddler things, and then you can tell I don't have kids, right? And then what <laughs> then what things. happens to them? Then they become little people, oh. and then they become adolescents or whatever, and then they yep. become young adults and adults school, and blah blah blah. School. That whole yeah. stage thing, yep. right? Um, that's actually an idea. That that is actually an idea. Right? That's hard to get your head around. It's actually an idea right. that we move through these stages. Right. Right. And that's a function of sort of modernist thinking, how we think in modernity about things. We break things up into stages and we put them in linear order. And so a guy named G. Stanley Hall in the early 1900s, who was one of those big person that you could consider one of the earliest sort of developmental psychologists, he came up with the stage. He identified the stage of adolescence. So it doesn't mean, of course, that people weren't that age it's right. you know way back then it's not like they skipped over from like 12 to 15 or whatever but it wasn't an actually named stage of development you just went from being a child to being an adult right that's right well right? there's a huge i think socio you know socio uh, uh economics played a huge role in this mm-hmm. as well as to those that would be allowed to be seen some sort of a uh, an adolescent versus those that were uh, you know they're they're going to go from school if they even finished it uh, public school and and uh, grade school and go directly into work in the fields well right exactly right yeah. so there are certain people who are allowed to have an adolescence and other ones of course who aren't but um, generally G Stanley Hall is the guy who created this stereotype around what adolescents are today, which we think of being an adolescent, we think of time and turmoil, raging hormones, we think of like acne, we think about being uncomfortable in a newly adulted body. You know, an adolescent has the body of an adult that can probably reproduce and, you know, lift heavy things and do these things like that. But the idea is that they haven't developed the rationality. So Mm. what happens in adolescence, one of the reasons that it's so tumultuous, according to this stereotype, 
is that adolescents have not yet developed the capacity to self-regulate. We've talked about self-regulation before on the show, right? That's right. And so what they're actually doing is they're developing the capacity of the mind to repress and control the body. Right. Right? And that this... This allows them then to be able to function in society, which is a pretty interesting idea. It is, but I think what's what's interesting is that was like three to, it was, you know, looked at as between three to five years in length. Adolescence lasted this long. I don't think we're doing that. No, now it lasts for a very, very long time, right? Maybe about 13 years uh, up to age 30. Yeah, this is a cultural thing. And this really kind of explains... um, very much kind of the third perspective that we have, right, is that um, age is a cultural effect. We think of age, how we experience age is an effect of culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Well, that goes back to what I said about, you know, those that, those that uh, who were pulled out of school because they had to go and work on the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that I think socioeconomics plays a huge role here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, when I'm seeing people that are 30 uh, I'm not saying kids. I'm saying people that are 30 years old that are still living at home. Part of that in you know such a big city, in an expensive city uh, like Toronto, uh, they don't really have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. rental renting is out out of the question for many of them. Buying is just a joke. Uh, so just the whole idea. But what what that does is that although they may be staying with their parents, they're still involved in in that. Uh, not only the dynamic of the family, but they're involved in just being kids still. Mom's still doing their laundry or coming home and cooking and doing the shopping and on and on and on. Right. So I think that the extension of adolescence is kind of a default mechanism because what's actually happening is is the just the economic realities and the social realities of being an adult, which which is defined by independence and by productivity, yep. right? And mostly financial independence and mostly True. labor productivity, right? Um, they can't actuate that as early on as they might have been able to do 100 years ago. So so the extension of adolescence is kind of a default mechanism because, well, if they're not adults because they're still living at home and they they can't actually leave home, well, then let's let's call them adolescents. Let's keep them adolescent. Right. Right? Right. But it's interesting because at the same time that they're inventing uh, adolescence – and adolescence is starting to take off. This idea of adolescence shaped the education system. It shaped uh, the uh, placement of children in, like in, uh, in families and stuff through adoption, all sorts of things like that, right? It shaped uh, child labor laws. It had a big, big, big impact, human rights stuff on uh, what you can do with children, what you can't do. So it uh-huh. had this big impact. At the same time as that's happening, at the end of World War II, so the late 40s, early 50s, that's when you start to see the invention of old age. So we have this category beginning and the earlier stages of life. And then we have a corresponding category uh, happening at the end of life. Right. 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 And which is also related to the labor market. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely related to it. Mm -hmm. People are starting to live longer. That's just an effect of longevity and better health care. Right. If you survive the wars. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, um, and the extended family, people are living in the extended family, and the extended family is becoming more extended because granny and grandpa are living longer. Yep. Right? So, and they're not working outside the home so much anymore, although, you know, very few people really retire. This idea of retirement is a total myth, and yet it's become 
the sort of the classic understanding of what you do in your 50s and your 60s, right? Absolutely. It becomes a classic idea when you start, you know, all you have to do is read a newspaper or a magazine that is all about planning for retirement. You should be saving now to, you know, get your, your savings plan, your pension plans and everything in line for when you reach which was this magical age of 65. Right. And yeah. being retired is the condition that constitutes the um, the entering into old age. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. And yet at the same time, most people today will never have the opportunity to retire. Never. Or won't want to. I would won't want to. I won't want to. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. Mm-hmm. I have some friends that are retired and they're like, uh, you know, have you ever thought of like retiring? And I'm like, what would I do? Mm-hmm. You know, sit and talk to myself on the beach? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just couldn't even imagine it. I mm-hmm. couldn't even imagine it. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a cute story of, of the, there's a little five-year-old and he was, uh, he was in kindergarten and he was asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be just like my grandma and grandpa and go to Florida. And she said, oh, you, what are you going to do in Florida? Well, I'm going to be retarded just like my grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Instead of retired. I thought there was mm-hmm. just such a cute joke. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a false, I think it's a false, um, it's a false hope somehow because of the economy, for starters. Uh, the, the, um, the, the fact that we live longer, we're healthy, we're, we're, you know, I think robust. And, you know, if we, if we, you know, cotton on to, the whole idea that we have a lot to still contribute. Mm-hmm. Now, neither Jan or I are anywhere near retiring, by the way. Uh, but you know, it's certainly something that you start to think about because I think it's really it's a it's just uh, it's like a paradigm that's that's uh, entrenched into our mindset. Right it's now. perceived as being so normative and expected, right? So even if you decide not to retire, or you're like, no, not me, people just sort of nod their head and say, well, we'll see, we'll see, right? Exactly, exactly. Right, you're going to get tired too. Yeah, but I think this is great because what it shows us is that boomers are busy reinventing what it means to be old, right? Where mm-hmm. sixty is the new forty. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love that one. I think that wasn't that Jane Fonda or something that said something around that. Yeah, Jane Fonda talks about that. She does a TED talk on. Uh, uh, she calls it the third act. So you get to reinvent yourself. Only this time, you'll have wisdom and you'll have resources. Yeah, I that think I just love so, that phrase. Uh, like a lifetime to to develop, right? Exactly. Yeah, and you and you have you have all kinds of resources, which, and that's more than just money. I mean, it's uh, the people around you, you know, yeah. and, and just your your own knowledge base is such a resource. Yeah, that. I love it. Third act coming up. Yeah, and the third <laughs> act is about is then about service because presumably your kids are growing. Presumably you've had some sort of career or you've developed a skill set that may or may not, that you may or may not want to actually sell anymore. Right, right. You know, you might not to have, might not have to have wage labor to, you know, make ends meet or whatever. You Maybe you've had the house that you've always wanted or whatever, and you've, you've done all those things you've done it. You've done and realize that the real piece is in being of service to others, right? Yeah. I mean, when it's all said and done, I mean, you know, I, I, this is my imagining, and certainly having worked with in palliative care, yeah. is at the end of the day, we're not going to talk about those things. Yeah. We're going to talk about our relationships. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, the, and, and, and what made our lives so meaningful is that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, you know, we come back again to connections, connections. It's just, it's not the connection to your house or your money or your, your pension plan. It's the connection to the people you worked with, right? To the to to your families, to your friends, your loved ones, uh, all all of those things just play such a, a huge role uh, mm-hmm. in uh, 
establishing, you know, what what becomes that lifelong story at the end. Right. So this existential piece is upheld by research and positive psychology. They keep coming back to this over and over and over. And so the common perspective then, how it links to aging, is this idea that presumably when you have reached the sort of young young old age, right? <laughs> that you're at that point where you're still vital and you're still physically really, really healthy, hopefully, and that you can go out into the world and it's a sort of it's a time where you can you can you can demonstrate your your relevance to other people or to culture and society as a whole. Right. Right. And become really fulfilled. And this is also correlates with sort of the emergence of more spiritual perspectives of life. True. True. You know, I, I, I mentioned my grandmother earlier. Um, she was she was a pastor of a church, and uh, eventually she would not, you know, she wouldn't have the church itself any longer. But she would be a guest speaker, you know, a lot of yeah. services around around town and in other outside of town and in the states mm-hmm. and down in Buffalo. I remember a few number of times. Um, and you know, the last time she actually gave a lecture, she was ninety four. Yeah, there you go. So right? totally coherent. And and just the idea that she wasn't going to give lectures anymore was just totally ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so here was this feisty Scottish woman going, "Oh dear, no, there's a bit no way." Uh, <laughs> and up she gets, and she would give like a fantastic lecture. People were in awe of her. Yeah. Uh, she passed away just a couple of years after that. Wow. Uh, but she, right up to the end, she was still up in front of her people, yeah. uh, you know, uh, lecturing. Uh, so, you know, which is really, uh, really quite amazing. Yeah. And so that's what's it. kind of interesting about that is, right, that, that we think, oh, gee, that's somehow anomalous. But it isn't actually anomalous. And in many cultures, it's actually quite normative. It's quite normal. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, but we live in this youth-oriented culture. So we don't, there's an absence of older people in media. There's, and that when they are in media, they're represented in a, in a stereotypical way. Yes. As unwell or grouchy or cranky or whatever or needing their <laughs> medication, right? Not as vital and um, as and high functioning there's a lack of uh, health care for older people right so our health care system we already talked about that right That's reflects right. back a sense of sort of devaluation right. of people who are older right, right? we're going to spend more time with a 40 year old than we're going to do with 75 exactly and then the nuclear family there's a separation of children from their grandparents and their great-grandparents and there's something called the grandparenting effect is that children have lower levels of anxiety they enjoy learning more, and they have a greater sense of appreciation when they spend time with their grandparents. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well documented. Uh, grandparents, you know, are are cool because, and that's why I think every every child has a special relationship. Mm. I mean, mine was, of course, to my grandmother, uh, and, and it's it's because they've done what they needed to do. Yeah. They they're not a thirty year old like our parents were trying to prove their way in the world still and figure figure things out while they have kids dragging along. They're finished at all. Mm-hmm. They're and they're they're just this wonderful sort of open I'm speaking generally, I mean this sort of open and, and all loving, you know, they're quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. And and you know, uh, kids just just glean so much for that absolute unconditional acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, from from a grandparent. Uh, you know, it's just unfortunate that you know our society is breaking down in such a way as to, you know, we put the grandparents are over here in retirement or they're in a home 
or and the parents are here and the kids are uh, virtually they might be in the same house but they're they're almost cut off in some ways. Yeah, that has a lot to do with the actually the rise of the nuclear family at the end of the Second World War, where extended families became broken apart and people moved away and you know from their family homes and you know urbanization and all sorts of things like that migration of peoples. But what I think is interesting is is this, like regardless of whether aging is a natural condition or it's the effect of an environment. Uh, or induced like telomere degradation or something, aging is a process, right? Yes. And I think that's the most important thing is that we move through the stages of our life that are categories that we created in our own minds culturally. Right. Um, and where we experience different roles and expectations and lifestyles with different tasks, challenges, health conditions, different emotions, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's a process. Age is a number and aging is, an experience. is the experience. Yeah, how true. Exactly. You can read my mind, dude. Uh, I know. Well, it is, though. I mean, when you talk about process and you're talking about experience, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the, the number thing of people go, oh, it's only, a, it's, you know, it's age is only a number. But, you know, it's just the fact of, of us uh, buying into that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's what I think we want to bring to people's mm-hmm. attention is, is that don't buy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not at all. So we have to break for a commercial uh, for some uh, Uh, Words from uh, uh, Voice America, talk radio. So we will be right back. And I'm Gordon Dell here with Jan Hill. And this is Things Worth Considering. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself 
physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, this is Gordon Dell and uh, Jan Hill, and we're back here at uh, Things Worth Considering on Voice America Talk Radio. Um, we've been talking about the whole area of aging um, and it's a pretty, pretty interesting one because we're all going to do it, uh, whether we like it or not. Uh, it's in the it's in the cards, as they say. Now, I just wanted to uh, say that if you would like to be in touch with Jan or I, uh, you can get in touch with us at uh, info at spiritgrows.ca. And feel free to drop us a line and let us know how you're enjoying the show or what you would like to see on the show or what you have to contribute to the show. Uh, I'm sure some of these things like aging, we all share in common. Uh, your stories are more than welcome to to uh, come through to us. So, uh, Jan, uh, what, what were we talking about? Oh, oh, aging, right? I keep forgetting. Exactly. <laughs> it, really, there goes the memory. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Where you go? Um, yeah, so aging is a process, and that process, how we experience aging, is affected by a whole bunch of things, which we've already touched on a bunch of them, our family life. Our education, our health, and our healthcare regime, perhaps. Our um, beliefs. Our yeah, our beliefs, our connections to others, and that can be intimate connections. It can be friends, family. It can be greater communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, our leisure activities, our economic and financial situations, our uh, emotional, spiritual well-being. Yep. Sense of purpose, our mobility. Our commitment to serving and helping others. Mm-hmm. Our housing, and our actual material reality. Yep. What are the tools we have, right? So, yeah, how we how we experience aging is unique to each one of us because of all these different factors and so many others that we didn't we didn't even mention. Right. Well, right. just to say nothing of the telomeres. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Those telomeres. Those telomeres are just following us everywhere. They always I come said, in Don't there come somewhere. <laughs> um, okay, so there's actually so three theories of aging about what what aging actually is from a sociocultural perspective. And well, I find this really interesting. So I'm going to tell you what the three are. And then uh, you can tell me, like you'll be able to tell which ones are positive about aging and which ones are like eh, negative about aging, right? <laughs> so there's the first theory is basically called the activity theory. And what it, it suggests that if by maintaining activity throughout our life, this actually leads to greater happiness in later life. And right? That's negative. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and this creates social stability throughout society. So yes. 
Yeah. So it means that if you just stay the same throughout your life, doing your stuff and, you know, pretty happy, then all of society will be stable. Okay. Right. So that's the first one. The second one is the disengagement theory, which says that the process of withdrawal that that aging people often uh, engage in is actually natural. It's a natural social function. And they have to disengage so that younger people can um, can pick up uh, the skills and the abilities that they need to do to be able to move them into adulthood and to have a successful adulthood. I don't agree with this. Disengagement. Yeah. Eh. No. Yeah. No. And then the last one is continuity. And the continuity theory basically states that what keeps society stable is when people move through the changes of their life, the life stages, uh, in in alignment with their cohort. So all those people that you were friends with when you were 12 and then went through adolescence with and then, you know, you raised babies with and your friends raised babies and now you're all facing old age together and okay. you're experiencing the same kinds of challenges. So happiness then is actually facilitated by having commonalities as you move through these life stages. Okay. I believe that only to a certain degree. I think what's missing is the fact that you know, as you're, if you're getting older, you need to be having young people around you. Yeah. And younger people need older people around them. I think that the, the, the best thing we can ever have is a really across the board age group of people that, that we socialize with. Integration. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And that just fits right in. And div- diversity. Yep. Right? Fits right in with all the other discussions of the isms. All the isms. All, all the, the isms, isms need right? to be in my living room. Right. And age is, yeah, just needs to be met with diversity as well. Yep. Right. So here's a here's a little tidbit of information is that 10,000 Americans a day retire. 10,000. I know. Doesn't that that's staggering. I know. That's, that's an entire town of yeah. a day. I know. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it's totally amazing. Yeah. That's scary, actually. Yes. Well, what ends up happening, though, is most people don't spend any time thinking about what they're going to do after they retire. Nope. So they might be thinking about getting to retirement, and then they just see retirement as being like, oh, now I'm retired. Where's my gold watch? Do. I want a gold watch. Exactly. Should I go golf today? And now here's the other thing you get with your gold watch. Right. You are now, after 40 years of marriage and going to work every day, you are now going to spend 24 hours a day with your spouse. Mm-hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week mm-hmm. for uh, the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. People are not prepared for this. No. That's one of the big ones uh, I see. You know, one thing to keep talking to people about their financial financial things, uh, getting ready for retirement, but there's that whole socioeconomic, or that just that whole social uh, element of, oh my God, you know, I, I know my parents went through this. It's like, I, I can't go to the mall one more time, Gord. That was my dad. Right. Um, right. You know, once he retired, he retired very early as a result of a company takeover. Uh, and he was very, you know, in a good shape. But sitting around was not where he was going to be. Right. And this is one of the reasons why you see higher levels of divorce amongst people who are 50, 60, and 70. Yes. Right? Is yes. Suddenly they're like, ah, empty nest syndrome and all this other stuff. And now they're at home all day long with somebody else that they haven't really had a relationship except maybe they've raised kids together or built, uh, you know, built a, a life together. Lots but of they just goals. don't have a lot of, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right? but not really, not really knowing who each other is anymore. Exactly, you know? right? Yeah, no, really good points, really good points. And I think it's important, too, to mention that part of what our discussion is, I, I noticed that we're kind of assuming that people will have some financial security, and this is not the case, right? So um, the precarious nature of work 
has grown astronomically in the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, late life um, divorce yes. has a big impact on financial security. Oh, massive. Yeah. And, um, you know, the longer life expectancies of women who make still 72 cents to every guy's dollar or less. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you throw racialized factors in there, then it's even worse, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of impoverishment that happens as you age. And I think that's really, really important to mention. Huge. Yeah. But having said that, here's the good news. Okay. Is... Um, there's a really interesting guy named Dan Butner. Okay. He was a National Geographic explorer, photographer. He traveled all over the world. And one of the things he did is he went to a bunch of different, what he called, blue zones. Several blue zones around the globe. Is that he, like the blue rinse set? Yeah, that's what I think. Okay. That's I think what that's I what it meant, right? Like, I don't know. That's how I thought, okay. too. <laughs> at, at any rate, it, makes, it helps you remember it, right? Like, yeah. why didn't he call it gray zones? I don't know, right? Exactly, exactly. Blue zones, right? <laughs> um, and this is where the oldest people are reported living, right? So the highest age demographically. And he found several consistent elements in each one of these cultures. um, And he believes that these elements contribute to a longer life and a happier experience of old age. And he gives us basically 10 factors, which uh, we can, uh, we can share with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, First and foremost, stay active. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, you know, don't retire. Go and do something. Even if you leave your actual position or whatever that was, there's still a ton of things that your skills can take you to and do. Uh, staying active isn't just your body, but also your mind. Especially your mind. Especially, yeah. Right. Uh, and it, it's as simple as reading. Uh, learning a new language is really big. Sudoku, which I'm really <laughs> bad at, uh, but apparently it's supposed to be good for your mind. It worries me that I'm bad at it. Uh, crossword puzzles. All all those kinds of things that just make you think uh, a little bit, you know, more deeply. But reading alone, I think connecting, talking, sharing your story, you know, write your story. All of those things are important. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. So stay active. Um, the second thing is fulfill your purpose. So your purpose doesn't stop when you when you age. In fact, this is an opportunity to really explore your life's purpose on a much more deeper and meaningful level. There's, uh, They call this... In Japanese culture, they call this the ikigai. Ikigai. Yeah, ikigai. It's your reason for being. And your reason for being can be anything. In the interviews that Dan Butner does, he talks about a woman who, you know, raises her great, 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 what, no, great, great grandchild up to, up in her arms, up above her head and says that this child is her ikigai. Right. Oh, okay. So, and then he speaks to a uh, a martial artist who's in his in nineties. I think he's a teacher. That's his ikigai, right? And this is his gift that he he brings to his culture. And um, if you want to read more about that, there's a great book called Ikigai. Wonder why they call it that? <laughs> by um, uh, Hector Garcia and Francesc uh, Mor- Morales. And, uh, yeah, you could take a closer look at this concept. But, yeah. you know, it fits in with it. Stay active and connect it to your guy. Yeah, totally. Life is grand, totally. right? But also, take it slow. Mm. You know, you, you want to keep moving with an active life, but you don't want to have these sudden exertions. Uh, sudden exertions aren't really good for the body, uh, no matter how old you are, actually. Uh, but focus on, on being consistent in, in tasks, you know, not suddenly lifting like a sofa and throwing it across the room or something because you're moving. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, you know, sudden exertion or trying to prove that we still have the same strength as a 25-year-old, 
uh, really doesn't go very far. What it does is it probably takes us to the chiropractor, the physiotherapist, the doctor, the orthopedic surgeon even. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so stay, stay, uh, keep it slow, move through, enjoy, but not the sudden exertion. Yeah, and Buettner found that in uh, pastoral uh, cultures where people were out and about walking, they walked a slow and consistent pace, but they walked a lot every day, um, that these people, you know, maybe they lived in the mountains, these people stayed healthy for a long, long time. And part of taking it slow and consistent fit in with this idea, don't overeat, don't fill your stomach, have mm. a have a plant-based diet what he noticed about these cultures where old folk live a long long time and these are people who uh were over 100 they had uh, the highest rates of people over the 100 wow. in these cultures wow. yeah and what they had in common around eating was that they they never ate till they were full oh my god all i can think of right now when we're talking about this is like family family high dinners, you know, the Christmas, the Thanksgivings, the everything you eat and you eat until everyone is like, oh my God, I am so full. And you hear pop, pop as everyone's top buttons are being undone on their pants <laughs> uh, because they're just so uncomfortable. I gave up eating that way a long time And they're ago. running to the couch. And they're running to the couch, the couch. absolutely. And then they start to fall to asleep. The couch. Yes. Yeah, it's a very dynamic family. Uh, <laughs> as they all fall asleep right afterwards. But it's like, uh, I'm really glad I, I stopped doing that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I, it just... I just, the idea of overeating now is just like horribly, horribly. I just can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I would prefer to do is to surround myself with really good friends who don't overeat. Exactly. (laughs) And they won't go to sleep and we can Mm -hmm. continue chatting uh, even after dinner uh, rather than falling asleep in the chair. Thanks to the tryptophan that is found in Turkey everywhere. Um, So anyways, yes. Get in shape for your next birthday. Okay. This you can do with all connecting with all your friends. It's just something to get out there and do. Get in mm-hmm. shape. It doesn't have to mean going to the gym. Just just uh, walking consistently, slowly, every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. The um, and smile. Right. This is one of the things around meditation where you do the internal smile. You do the yeah. small little Buddha smile. Right. Um, I'm reminded by uh, Jack Kornfield. He tells this great story of uh, Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama hanging out together. And these are people who have so much to grieve about. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So much sadness to grieve about. And yet, what did they do? They get together and they laugh. They, they laugh and laugh I, and laugh. I, I right. They were giggling. Because laughter is healing. <laughs> Yes. Right? And there's laughing meditation. So smile. If you can't laugh, smile. Oh, totally. Totally. And here's a big one. Number eight is reconnect with nature. This is a super important one. So go for it. Take those slow, continuous walks uh, out in nature. For many people, this is actually a spiritual practice. And this is the other thing that um, Buettner found is that every one of these communities had some sort of spiritual focus and they would take that spiritual focus out into nature. And it's interesting, right, because we have in our culture uh, the well-documented nature deficit disorder, which, um, you know, I, I, I'm all about that um, in terms of studying it and stuff. And it's... Um, Walking in nature connects us to something bigger. Oh, absolutely. There, there's this whole thing about showering in the in the forest. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a thing in Japan right now, you know, sort of going in and just bringing in, like showering that energy and so on. Wow. Uh, you know, it's quite it's it's quite it's quite a phenomenon that's, that's taking place there. Yeah. And it's and it's all about just that connection. Yeah. If you hug a tree 
while you're meditating a little bit, just hug it. Big, big tree. Ah, and just give it a little hug. You can feel the energy of it as, you know, sometimes decades and centuries old. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just hugging a friend is nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? And you, uh, number nine is give thanks. Yes. Gratitude. We talked a lot about that. Yep. Before. The and whole, whole concept. What's the last one, Gord? To live in the moment. Mm. I'm a big one on that one. Live in the now. Um, you know, you can't live in the past. Whatever's happened, feeling guilty for, feeling bad for, it does not change it. You're going to have to come to terms with it. And, you know, worrying about what's going to happen in the future, it hasn't happened. And often 90% of what we worry about never even comes into play. Yeah. This is the beautiful thing about getting older is your future shortened. <laughs> so uh, there's not that uh, yeah, much thanks to worry so much about. Thanks for uh, sharing that, okay? <laughs> uh, let's speed this up. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, that whole thing of, of uh, living in the now, I always say that the greatest gift I got from my, have received from my students from my clients mm. over the years is it's taught me just to be in the moment with them mm-hmm. because I can't work and hear them and be with them if I'm not in the moment. Yeah. I'm not even in the room. And yeah. we're used to that. We're used to people not being there. They're look, looking around talking to us. And yeah. I just think that's the greatest gift I ever received yeah. was just being in the, in the moment. I agree. That brings us to the end of a show here of, of uh, things worth considering. Uh, I'd like to uh, just uh, share with you that uh, – um, next week, Jan and I will be looking at a situation that uh, many of us find ourselves in with aging parents and spouses or our children uh, when we are in a position of being a caregiver. And uh, we're going to be talking about who takes care of the caregiver and how we can self, self take care of ourselves along the way. Uh, if you're in Toronto, uh, in the Toronto area, or you're going to be coming here on Friday, March the 8th, uh, you're invited to come on out and uh, meet the author of uh, Seven Principles of the Affluent Soul, uh, Mr. David Bryan, and also uh, Pauline uh, O'Hanlon, who was here with us on Manifestation, and Jan and myself. Mm-hmm. We will all be here. It is our uh, every other uh, week here at Transformational Arts College, the Compassion Energy Circle at 3300 Young Street. Uh, you're invited to come on out. Uh, there's no charge for this. There is a donation uh, uh, requested. So we hope you'll come on out, uh, meet all of us on uh, Friday, March the 8th, uh, 3300 Young Street. On that note, Jan, yes. and to everyone listening, have a great week. Gord, is that your icky guy? That's my icky guy. You got it. All right. Have a great one. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.